Well, open your Bibles again to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. I want to turn our attention to two verses this morning and talk to you about seminaries, training men, the expositor seminary, and why it matters to you. And if it doesn't, why you should change that perspective. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul instructing his young protege Timothy who had taken the pastorship of the church at Ephesus after Paul went on to complete his missionary journeys. He says in 2 Timothy 2, You, Timothy, therefore my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We're highlighting today what we call TES around here, the Expositors Seminary, and it falls to me to at least explain to you a little bit more clearly what it is and why it matters. The Expositors Seminary is exactly what seminaries intend to do themselves, which is to train pastors, to train theologians, to train men of God. And what we've done is collaborated with seven, and we're about to adopt two more, nine churches. And because of the wonder of technology in instantaneous two-way video conferencing, able to connect all with the other. Sometimes I teach a class, and I teach to the other six seminaries and the men who are in the room with me. Other times they sit and watch one of the pastors at one of the other classes who are teaching on screen, and another screen contains their content, their PowerPoint, their PowerPoint, the uh, um, things that they'll be uh, demonstrating. It sounds a little awkward and odd, but after a moment or two, you forget that you're not in the room with all these other men. It's an amazing gift of God that we get to live in such an age where like-minded churches can come together and pull our resources as as pastors and teachers, all with different emphases and theological niches, to train young men, and not always young men, to train men in general for the work of the Lord. A seminary is a graduate school that is first and foremost a course designed to train pastors and preachers. I've had the privilege of attending now three seminaries in my Study. I've graduated from two of them and then currently in a, some coursework at a third. I have loved my time at each of these seminaries, deeply indebted to my instructors and my professors, will forever be marked by their lives, their instruction, their, their discipleship, their counsel to me. And the last thing I want you to hear me say this morning or hear me say in, in any nuance is that institutional seminaries need to go away. They don't. Uh, I'm thankful for them, and uh, may their tribe increase. But I do want to offer you a different way of thinking about seminary that we've adopted that I think is honestly more in line with what Paul is telling Timothy here in 2 Timothy 2. I want to confess that in all of my seminary experiences, there, there was something amiss, something blatantly missing that I had to seek out on my own. And that missing part was 
hands-on ministerial training. If I can use an analogy, it would be like a, a medical doctor who only studied under research PhDs and then went to try to practice, rather than a medical doctor who studied under someone who was practicing. He would watch a surgery, do a surgery, uh, teach a surgery, be evaluated in what he was doing while he was doing hands-on practice. Seminaries, by definition, can only offer so much of that. And when I'm explaining the Expositor Seminary to, to others who are interested or others who just want to know about it or maybe even prospective students, this is the way I describe it. I went to seminary to go to school and get a degree and be trained and equipped as much as I could mentally. I, I, I went to learn at a seminary and then got involved in a local church and was trained hands-on as well. This is a model flipped on its head. This is we would invite men to come and be a part of Mission Road Bible Church. Oh, yes, and also get an MDiv, Master of Divinity, in seminary while you're here. The accent is on the life of the church and being involved in the ministry in all of its component parts. You can't learn to swim standing on the deck of the pool Eventually, you have to get in the water. And what I think the model here at TES does is it allows men to get involved, and it also puts a great ownership on the rest of us here at Mission Road to not only allow them, but to instruct them, to teach them, to give them feedback, to nurture these men and, and shepherd them in what could really be called a safe environment. Richard Pratt illustrates the issue I'm trying to raise with this little anecdote. He says this, can you imagine what kind of soldiers our nation would have if basic training amounted to reading books, listening to lectures, writing papers, and taking exams? We'd have dead soldiers. The first time a bullet whizzed past their heads on a battlefield, they'd panic. The first explosion they saw would send them, and send them running. So what is basic training for the military? Recruits learn the information they need to know, but this is a relatively small part of the preparation. Most of basic training is devoted to supervised battle simulation. Recruits are put through harrowing emotional and physical stress. They crawl under live bullet fire. They practice hand-to-hand -hand combat. Then he says, if I could wave a magic scepter and change seminary today... I'd turn it into a grueling physical and spiritual experience. I would find ways to reach academic goals more quickly and effectively and then devote most of the curriculum to supervised battle simulation. I'd put students through endless hours of hands-on service to the sick and to the dying, physically dangerous evangelism, frequent preaching and teaching the scriptures, and days on end of fasting and prayer. Seminary, then, would either make them or break them. He writes, do you know what would happen? Very few young men would want to attend. Only those who had been called by God would subject themselves to this kind of seminary. Yet they would be recruits for kingdom service, not mere students. They would be ready for the battle 
of gospel ministry, end quote. That's what we're trying to do at Expositors. But what it means is involving them in the life, in the blood of the church, so that they're involved with us and we're involved with them. It doesn't take a a theologian to train a man of God. It doesn't take an instructor. It doesn't even take a school. It takes a church. You play a significant and a magnificent role in the development of these men. You are not practice people. This is real, and the stakes are high. To quote theologian John Frame, he says, since theological education is a ministry of the word of God, it is the work of the church and nobody else. Teaching the word of God is the great commission that Jesus gave to the church. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It is the church that does ministry, and it is the church, the work of the church, to train ministers of God, end quote. Do do you believe that? Better said, will you believe that? Do you understand that we don't have just a little classroom upstairs with some guys who show up a few times a week and take some classes, then they're going to scurry off to ministry someday? Do you understand your gravitas, the, the, the significant role you play in allowing these men to minister to you, to be evaluated by you, and to be a part of your life, even a part of your families. Well, what I want to do briefly in this text is to show you three concentrations for the church to train men of God. This is your role and your responsibility to understand, not just mine and the other teachers. Three concentrations for the church to train men of God. It's here in 2 Timothy 2. The first one is in verse 1, the foundation of pastoral training, which is the grace of God. The foundation of pastoral training, which is the gospel of grace, the grace of God. Paul says, you, and stop right there. We have to stop. Who is Paul talking to? He's talking to Timothy. We've already established that Paul has left the reins of the, of the leadership of the church at Ephesus in Timothy's hands. We find that in the book of Acts. He says, you, therefore, based on chapter 1, which we'll come to in a moment, is all about guarding the trust and retaining the standard and understanding the, the, the responsibility of being a gospel man and a shepherd of the flock of God. Then you, therefore, who is the you? Who is Timothy. Well, we have a brief biography we could put together, not without difficulty. He was well-respected in Acts 16, 1 to 3. Timothy was looked to as someone who was highly desirable for a ministry. I mean, everyone would love to have Timothy as their pastor. He was dependable in 1 Corinthians 16 and gifted by God in 1 Timothy 4. Believed in by the elders in 1 Timothy 4, 14. Courageous. He was with Paul in prison in Rome in Philippians 1, Colossians 1, Philemon. He was caring, Philippians 2 says. He was trustworthy as well. He was uncompromising, Hebrews 13, 23 says. He went to jail for his faith. That all sounds wonderful. What a guy. I mean, this is the guy you would have come speak at the conference. This is the guy you invite to do your missions conference. This is the guy you would want to hear from, except we find out other things about Timothy as well. In 2 Timothy 1.7, 
he was told not to be intimidated. You don't tell someone not to be intimidated who's not, what? Intimidated. So he struggled with intimidation. He's told not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ in chapter 1, verse 8. You don't tell someone, don't be ashamed of the gospel who doesn't struggle with being ashamed of the gospel. He was told not to compromise his theology in chapter 1, which many struggle with maintaining the standard of sound words he'd been given. He had been influenced by ungodly opinions and needed to be corralled in that in chapter 2, verse 16. He struggled with lust and was told to stop it in chapter 2, verse 22. He likely was susceptible to being argumentative, which is why Paul tells him in this chapter, don't be argumentative. And likely wondered if what he believed was even true, in chapter 3, verse 14, he's told, remember what you've been convinced of. Don't leave what you've been convinced of. I tell you all that to say that Timothy was, was in need of shepherding. So are the men at Expositor Seminary. So is your leadership team at Mission Road. So is your pastor speaking to you right now. You, therefore... So what does he say to Timothy? You, therefore, my son, he's been discipled by the Apostle Paul. He looked at him as not only a spiritual son, but actually as flesh and blood. You, my son, be strong. This is a strange thing. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is something that you cannot earn or you cannot attain to. It's given to you. How do you be strong in something you can't get? By being strong in what you've been given. And it's instructed, we're told here what he means by that, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, be strong in the relationship you have through grace, by faith, in the Savior himself, in Jesus. Right from the beginning of his personal instruction, he tells Timothy, the gospel is about Jesus, not a, not a way to behave, not a, not, a, not a set of rules, not a standard of behavior, not behavior modification. It's about Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in your friend, your Savior, your Lord, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Spiritual strength comes from him, and it flows to us in his kind, unmerited favor called grace. So the foundation of a man being trained is, Paul says, be strong in the gospel. And we want to be those kind of men and women who give around these men at TES who are training, give them a culture of people who cherish the gospel ourselves. Can I say it this way? You want them to leave always comparing what they saw in you. And it should be a positive comparison. Because you live in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the foundation. Understand the gospel. It's a person and it's gracious. A second concentration for the church to train men of God is the content, the content of pastoral training. This is biblical truth. There's stuff you got to learn. He says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, the things which you've heard. Notice there's a transference of truth here, things to learn, things to accept. Now, if you want to know what he's talking about, just flip back over to chapter 1, 
Verse 13, retain the standard, he says, of sound words, solid words, the word of God, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Again, the things which Paul was saying are paramount are the things which flow into and out of the Christology that he'd given Timothy. That the gospel is about Jesus. And Jesus fills every understanding of gospel application. Guard, verse 14 says, guard, interesting word. Assume that someone is going to try to tamper with it. Those of you who are here at the seminary, students, let me just tell you, there will be men, there will be women, you'll find out later in Timothy, some were telling wives' tales, old wives' tales to try to get people off. There will be people, false teachers, who will constantly try to rip from your lips the truth of the gospel, rip from your heart the conviction that God has said all he needs to say and did not have a speech impediment. These things must be guarded. This is the gospel and the truth that comes with the gospel, all that's in it, the truth that Jesus came. God in flesh lived a perfect righteous life to fulfill all righteousness before God, was executed as a criminal and unjustly by the divine providence of God who used his son as a substitute to receive the the due punishment of condemnation on the cross as an acceptance for the satisfied wrath of his fury and then granted to believers his son's perfect righteousness. And after that death raised him from death to life, where he now sits at the right hand of God. Guard this truth. Here at Mission Road, shouldn't we have an environment and a culture that makes that guarding really easy? Shouldn't this be a safe harbor before they go out into their ministries, some to other churches, some in the mission field, where they take deep breaths of gospel air and say, that's what it's supposed to be like. We ought to be a model church of those who love guarding the truth. Guard through the Holy Spirit which dwells within us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. This is a treasure that's entrusted. This is, this is not a secret treasure, though. He says... Many witnesses heard this. This is not the society of the Masons and secret teachings of their meetings that only are offered to a few. This is not the Gnostics of Paul's day who hid teaching from the uninitiated. This is open. The things that you have heard notice addressed to Timothy became the things which were inscripturated for you and me. Guard the gospel, guard the word of God, retain the standard. You've heard these things. They're now to be yours. Which leads to a third mandate, a third responsibility, a third opportunity, a third concentration for each of us in the church to train men of God. And that's the men, the men themselves for pastoral training. They ought to be faithful multipliers. Faithful multipliers. We find this same word used in verse chapter 1, treasure's been entrusted to you, now used 
as a verb, entrust these things which you've heard from me. I've given you these things, Timothy. Now entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The preciousness of the gospel. The preciousness of gospel truth was to be entrusted as a treasure passed with the greatest care and the most ardent attention. Deliberately, intentionally. Now think of this in two ways. First, it was so important it has to be entrusted personally. He didn't say, Timothy, take these things and write a book and get published and multiply it through language translations. He didn't say that. He said, this is personal, personal discipleship. It's also public and passionate. Also, notice that it's a relay race going on here. Entrust these things to faithful men who can then entrust them to other faithful men. You see that? See the relay race, the generations there? It was not just to go to any men, but faithful men. Entrust these to faithful men. How do you identify a faithful man? Paul told Timothy in his previous letter, in 1 Timothy how he would identify a faithful man. He said in 1 Timothy 4.16, Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. And as you do this, this is how important it is. As you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. We see three things jump off the page in that verse about faithfulness. Character, content, commitment. Character, pay close attention to yourself. These are men of character who have worked hard at being above reproach, worked hard at loving Christ, worked hard at fighting sin. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. This is the content. They're doctrinally faithful. And then commitment, persevere in these things. This is not a class you take and you're done. This is not a year you spend and you're, you, you fin- finish the line. This is, this is an ongoing, active, Difficult fight to persevere in these things. And it's so important that salvation is at stake. Listen, beloved at Mission Road, we are to be so intentional about training these men because what they say and how they live and what they know and whether they continue on or not has heaven and hell at stake. That's how important this is. Pastoral ministry is not for the unfaithful then. It means a lot of late nights. It means a lot of early mornings. It means unexpected interruptions as a daily part of your life. It means constantly being, being overwhelmed by the influx of emails and text messages and phone calls and drop-bys. And, and that's what you sign up for because you love God and you love his flock. It means study, 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 and it means you're never, ever, 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 ever done. Can I just confess something to you? Just to have a moment with you. There's, 
There's a short span, there's an oh-so-tiny window on Sunday nights for me personally. I go home after a service, I change clothes, I get a Coke Zero, I sit down, and I take a deep breath, and for about an hour, for only an hour, I don't feel the stress and the pressure of the next sermons. I just, I'm, I'm done for the week. And then I wake up on Monday, and I got to do it all again. Sometimes multiple times. Now, that's a burden, but it's a joyful burden. You, you never finish when it comes to study. I had a college student ask me uh, probably 10 years ago uh, when I was pastoring a group of collegians, came up to me and said, because I had played golf the week before with his friend, and he thought, man, pastoral ministry, this is great. Play golf, you know, uh, sign me up. And so he was kind of saying it tongue-in-cheek, but being, letting me know that he was being serious enough, he says, so what do you do all week? I bit a hole in my tongue and just said, well, what do you do all week? He says, Psh, I got a research paper due this week. 20 pages. And I said, well, I have two research papers due every week that are about 40 pages each. And they're publicly given. And people kind of grade me every week on whether they come back or not. He goes, really? You have to do that research? Yes, really, you have to do that research. But these men have to be trained to do that. Now, just for a minute, I want you to count the number. Count the number of spiritual generations in this verse. Be careful, because there's one there, but not there. There's five. Five generations. Ready? Jesus to Paul. Paul to Timothy. Timothy to faithful men. Faithful men to other faithful men. Five generations in one verse. We're to find men who are intentionally multipliers. Spiritual reproduction is what flows out of their heart. They want to see the gospel advance. They want to see others trained and equipped. Luke 6.40 says, A pupil, Jesus saying this, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. What, what a responsibility. You want to know what your church is going to be like? Look, like your, look, look at your teachers. Look at your leaders. It works all the way through. You want to know what your kids are going to be like? Look at your heart. You want to know what your friends are going to be like? Look at your discipleship. If we want to know what effect a ministry will have, we need only to look at the lives and doctrine of leaders in the church. Hosea summarizes it like this in Hosea 4.9. Like people, like priests. Students, let me be really clear. Your God will be your people's God. The Jesus you proclaim will be their Jesus. The gospel you explain will be their gospel. Your standard of morality will be the standard of morality in the church. Your hermeneutic will be their hermeneutic. Your exercise of liberties will be their exercise of liberties. Your excitement about spiritual realities 
will be their degree of excitement about spiritual realities. Who trains men to be like this and worthy of that kind of following? You do. You do. It's not just me. It's not just the elders. And it's not the instructors. You are to be the context, the environment, the culture where a man learns how church is to operate. It falls to us to show them an example of how church is supposed to be. And when it's not that way, what repentance is supposed to look like. Let me tell you for a minute about the Expositor Seminary, can I? These are distinctives that we, we pulled together at our retreat several years ago. I'm just going to bleed on you. This, a lot of this is on the website. Let me tell you what we're trying to do with these men and why it matters to you in a moment. We want to develop expository disciplines. We believe the primary task of, of the pastor is to nourish the church on the words of faith and sound doctrine we just read about in 1 Timothy 4. That means we teach biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew. They get three years of Greek and three years of Hebrew. This is not just some cute little Bible institute that operates upstairs. Teach them critical exegetical analysis and textual problem solving in the word of the living God. Crafting expository sermons, the art and the delivery and the science of creating and crafting sermons. We want to teach them theological disciplines, recognizing that a, a proper theological framework is essential to doing all ministry. We want to teach them a theology that's exegetically derived, that we believe what we believe theologically because we find it in the text and it arises out of it. It's inductive, it's systematically expressed, a consistently presuppositional apologetic. You know what that means? We are crazy enough to believe that. God's word is what he uses to convince people of God's word. You say, that's circular reasoning. You're right. Guilty. You're right. God uses his word to teach the truth about his word to understand the greatness of his son. We want to give them a sound theological understanding for living the Christian life personally, not just pastorally. A doxological vision, a praising of God for the church and her responsibility so they know what they're aiming for as leaders in the church. We want to teach them practical disciplines as well. A biblical philosophy of ministry. Why do we do what we do? Every single thing that we do in the church ought to be traced back to a book, a chapter, and a verse. Pastoral virtue, mature leadership of family, in ministry, want to pay attention to their lives. Are they loving their wives and shepherding their children? Are they being examples or choosing to be exceptions of what they teach? Understanding what church government means, what leadership is, how to serve and not be dictators, the duties of the pastoral office, including the carrying out of the ordinances. Baptism, the Lord's table. And I want to tell you, we want these men to be doing leadership of the Lord's table, baptizing people in our church. This is where they should learn and could learn. We don't want the first elders meeting they ever go to to be the one they lead when they're the pastor. 
I know many guys who've done that. The first elders meeting they ever attended was the one that they showed up with their first new church and they said, hi, pastor, you're in charge. So we're including them in many dimensions of that. We don't want their first baptism to be in a church where they've never been instructed how to do that and they hold someone under a little too long. (laughs) Or don't get them all the way under. (laughs) Shepherding, critical. And then we want them to be disciplined in discipleship. Understand, leadership development, mentoring of their own lives, mentoring of others, mentoring of leaders, developing training for servants and deacons and having administrative skills for day-to-day use in the church, financing and budgeting in the church, knowing how to not overspend what the Lord has given, how to be strategic in the planning of ministry and do strategic planning. That's what we're trying to do. And so you might be saying, great, so what about me? What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with, with a person sitting in the pew? First of all, we should all know and pray for these men and their development. God has just given them to us for a short time to train and equip, and then they'll be gone. We're to all be involved in vetting them, in evaluating them, in observing them, in scrutinizing them, in in encouraging them. Don't assume that just because they're in seminary, they have everything wired. Don't assume that their family doesn't need to be addressed. Don't assume that their marriage is perfect because they go to seminary. We're to be involved in checking, in shepherding, and in helping them to become these examples. And we should all allow these men, this is so important, okay, eye contact for a second, ready? Very important. We should be the church that allows these men the opportunity to develop in all these ministry avenues, to hear them preach, to watch them baptize, to lead the Lord's table, to give announcements, to lead classes in Sunday school and Care groups and on and on and on, not just to give them some experience because they need to operate on a real battlefield because it matters. Preaching, shepherding, counseling, administrative, leading. Let me say it this way. Our church should be a living laboratory for men to learn ministry. And know this, friends, this is not practice ministry. This is real ministry. We're dealing with a true and living God, eternal souls, and a hungry devil. Also, we need to support them. We need to care for these men. In a few minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to give a special offering that goes to the Expositor Seminary, and that's the easy part. Hope you give. I hope you give liberally and generously. And that should be a part of what we do. Our church supports the Expositor Seminary as one of our mission outreaches. But we also need to watch out for these men personally that they're, remember, they're working full time, ministering, going to school, raising families, discipling, being discipled, all at the same time. I remember what it was be like in seminary, living on peanut butter and when it was a good week, jelly. 
getting you know, 20 little packages of Top Ramen for $5 and thinking I just you know, reached uh, the buffet. Let's care for them. Let's teach them how a church should be so they know what a church they shepherd ought to be developed into. And we should be, listen, last thing, please. We should be patient with these guys and excited with them and for them. They're learning, they're growing. Let's be a, let's make Mission Road a great place to fail, a great place to try, a great place to grow, a safe place, a healthy place to learn and even to fall and fail and get back up and keep going. You are to be mature enough to aid these men in their maturity. What a gift he's given us. Don't think of the seminary as given to the teachers and the elders and the pastors. This is, this is ours. We, we get to train men. We get to be the church with them and for them and encourage them. Because God has given the training of men not to seminaries. You won't find that word in the Bible. He's given the training of men to the church. And that includes all of us.